tornadoes to hurricanes, blizzards, and everything in between, you're listening to the Stormfront Freaks podcast. Stormfront Freaks are former television meteorologist Mark Massaro, atmospheric science graduate and skyworn storm spotter Brady Harris, digital meteorologist and weather producer on the Weather Channel app Dina Knightley, former on-camera meteorologist at the Weather Channel Kim Cunningham, Emmy-winning storm chaser and photographer Chris Sanner, and I'm your announcer and Skywarn Network coordinator Mark Johnson. Now, here's the moderator of the Stormfront Freaks podcast, Skywarn storm spotter and chaser Phil Johnson. <laughs> hey, welcome to the most entertaining <laughs> weather podcast on your listening and viewing device. This is the Stormfront Freaks podcast, and if you happen to be watching us right now, uh, we call it Stormfront Freaks Raw because you're just getting... The raw recording, nothing fancy uh, from us in those regards. Wait, but hey, wait, wait. Are you using a teleprompter? No. You look Wow. I've done this enough now. I, I know I know what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> all right. Sorry. Sorry. That's all right. So, hey, if, if it is your first time listening, thanks for checking us out. Be sure to catch our last episode with CNN uh, meteorologist Jennifer Gray was with us or any of our previous shows with guests like Storm Chaser Kelly Williamson or the Weather Channel's Tom Nizzle. But this is episode 37. Our guest this week is Warning Coordinator Meteorologist uh, for the National Weather Service in Norman, Oklahoma. Mr. Rick Smith is with us tonight. Right. We'll also, uh, so we'll also be discussing uh, with Rick and the rest of the, uh, the co-hosts, we'll be discussing the relationship between the National Weather Service and storm spotters, uh, versus uh, the relationship with storm chasers. And don't forget to stick around for our Titan U Minute, Weather Fools, WX Resources, listener comments, and there's always an unexpected surprise in there as well, usually. So let's let's do this. Let's quick introduce the team. Uh, it's always happy hour when we record, so let's uh, introduce our co-hosts and find out what they're drinking tonight. Uh, we'll start with MJ up in Minnesota. All right, pulling another one from south of the border tonight. It's a Tecate Light. <laughs> nice. Light. <laughs> watching your waist again, huh? Yes, mm-hmm. I am. The mm-hmm. light, the tasty As light. As I here. say, nobody yeah. else is watching it. So now, Mark, <laughs> let me tell you a story. When I was over in Nogales, Mexico, a long, long time ago, the first time I had Tecate, it was in a can, and they actually poured, they squeezed a lime to the rim of the can. And then put salt on their thumb, and they did it like a shot of tequila. That's how they drank tequila. Nice. Yeah. And then you got Montezuma's yeah. revenge, right? And then I got all stuff there. <laughs> so you had to suck other people's thumb. Yes. <laughs> well, you did oh, if man. you wanted to. I guess. <laughs> Already, Rick is questioning. Like, am I should I be on the oh, show? Pass. Well, hey, Kim. <laughs> Kim, uh, Kim, go ahead and tell us. You're down in Atlanta. What are you drinking tonight? Well, I am going to be doing it right. Well, I'm going to do Ooh, Athens Craft. You off guard. <laughs> I'm unprepared. I'm unprepared. This is an Athens, one of the, the faves, I think, uh, for people who like hoppy beer. This is a, from Terrapin, and it's Hopsecutioner, which I just love the name of it. So Hopsecutioner. And um, I'm drinking it out of my one of my Halloween uh, pint glasses. This is the mummy this time. Okay. <laughs> Creepy, so, creepy. Uh, yeah, All right, yeah. Chris. Uh, Chris in Oklahoma City area. What are you drinking, Chris? Well, you know, honestly, we've got to keep up our reputation as the most healthy and fit storm chase team ever over at Tornado Titans. So tonight, I'm having high quality H2O after an intense workout. 
earlier today. So Whoa. I am hydrating to <laughs> keep, keep the fitness going. We you. keep the fitness up in the winter so we can be ready for spring. Be sprinting <laughs> through the fields right. and stuff. It's important. So you'll, you'll be the sober one by the end of the show. That's good. <laughs> Maz in Cincinnati. What are you drinking, Maz? Uh, I'm hydrating too. It's Mad Tree Happy Amber. All colors. It is pretty. Go. I know, right? That sounds good. And it is. I've got Actually, my Mad Tree I'll, shirt on tonight too. Uh, do, let me see. Oh yeah, nicely done. Yeah, so yeah. speaking of shirts, Kim, did you ever get your uh, Don't Worry Be Hoppy? No, no, I gotta get oh, that. Oh my gosh. But I do have my Salem shirt on. I was just in Salem on Monday in Massachusetts, so. Um, I got which city T-shirt on. So. Oh, which oh, city? Very cool. It's all about Halloween. <laughs> which a woman? All right. So Brady, uh, are you in Italy or are you in Columbus tonight? No, I am in Columbus, <laughs> and I I promise you I won't be the most sober one on this show at the end of the night because I'm drinking limoncello, <laughs> which I didn't think it was going to be this strong, and it is very strong. It's basically, um, I think it's almost like a shot. I think it's almost like. I mean, it's in like this big bottle. Uh, I got this straight from a winery over there, but it's very good. It's a little like lemony, and I would say it's almost like a lemon vodka. I would. What's it called? Lemon Cello. Have you ever heard of it? I have not. No. Need it to uh, amplify oh. or amp too fancy. Yeah, hold, hold it steady. It's pretty. It's pretty good. I mean, it's. I was surprised. You know, about this much is all you can really drink, though, and it's. You know, but it's good. Does it taste like lemonade? It kind of does. It has. Down, like, it, it tastes like lemonade and vodka, basically, is what I would say. Ooh, All right. Well, I'm I'm doubling up on Maz. I've got Mad Tree tonight too, and I've got my favorite. I talked about last week, which is Pilgrim, and they just started canning it, uh, which is the kind of cranberry vanilla bean pale ale that that's my favorite. But I'll be honest with you. You know, I had the can last show. And the it, it's not the same in the can. I it's it doesn't have that Captain Crunch berry aftertaste <laughs> that I love. So I ended up getting a growler of it, and so I I'm drinking from the growler tonight. Nice, <laughs> nice. So, All right. And Rick, I you know we didn't. I, I don't know if you know about our our happy hour, but are you uh, you drinking anything tonight, sir? I do, and and Chris is not too far up the road from me. We didn't plan this, but I'm enjoying a. Uh, also, water. Sorry. <laughs> I was wrestling, with, uh, wrestling with a boxer and a dachshund right before we started here. And <laughs> that's the best I could do. <laughs> they drank all your beer. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> they do yeah. like that. Do you well, play poker with them? <laughs> do what? Do you play poker with them? You know, around the table? The... I haven't. They haven't. They're not that good yet. No. <laughs> <laughs> My pugs could teach them a thing or two. Just say no, right? Oh, right. I want to okay. see it. You know, I would love to see that on a black velvet painting. Yes. Like dogs sitting around a poker table. <laughs> no, that's what that's what an idea. That could be something. <laughs> All right. Well, let's do this. Let, uh, let's get to what everybody's here for tonight, which is our guest, Rick. Uh, Kim, do you want to go ahead and do the honors and introduce sure. our guest? I would love to. All right, Rick is actually one of the very few and the very proud meteorologists who have actually received his degree from the very short-lived meteorology program at the University of Memphis. And while he was attending, he went from a student volunteer to a full-time meteorologist or Met intern at his hometown National Weather Service office in Memphis. And then in 97, he actually moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma, as he was a forecaster there. Then two years later, he accepted a job in Fort Worth at the National Weather Service Southern Regional Headquarters. 
And then in 2002, Rick was actually selected to be the WCM or the Warning Coordinator Meteorologist at National Weather Service in Norman, Oklahoma. And this, his dream job, so awesome. And he's actually been there ever since. He's also a co-host of Weather Brains podcast. Now, Rick, you know, it sounds like a fantastic, you know, job for you. I know it's so important to have that job that you love. Um, some of us out here, though, may not know exactly what a WCM does. So if you could just maybe quickly, you know, tell us a little bit about your job. Yeah, absolutely. The Warning Coordination Meteorologist, or WCM, is essentially... It's like the sales and marketing arm of the Weather Service, the public relations arm. We do all the external affairs. So we, we kind of interact with everybody outside the office, whether it's emergency managers, public safety agencies, uh, the TV meteorologists, radio stations, storm chasers, storm spotters, the public. And really our job is to work with all of those people outside the office to make sure that the community is as ready as they can be for whatever bad weather might be coming. So it's a, uh, it's a full-time job here in Oklahoma. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. hey, how'd you kill or who killed the, uh, the department at the university of Memphis? How'd that happen? Gosh, it, it was just, uh, it was just kind of thrown together with duct tape and, and uh, bailing wire there. And uh, actually there's a few people in the weather service that got their degrees from there. There's a, there's a forecaster in Nashville, I think, that got his degree there, a forecaster in New Orleans. There's a meteorologist at FedEx that actually graduated from there. So it, was, it, was, it just kind of came together for a short time. I know there's talk about getting it back together, but uh, it was just a real small program. And, and thankfully, you know, I was able to and, and, and get the job I liked or loved and always wanted to have. So it, it you know, if you believe in fate and things like that, it, it kind of worked out for the, for me at least. So I'm, you can I'm, bring I'm it happy back. that it happened. You could bring it back. You could be the guy. Yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know if I'm that smart. But, uh. So Rick, give us a little background. What, uh, what got you into weather? Um, you know, have you been interested in weather since you were a kid? Give us kind of your backstory. Yeah, the backstory is I've been interested in weather as long as I can remember. Um, sitting on the shelf on my bookshelf in my office is something my wife found in a box of old stuff. It's a it's a weather forecast I drew and 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 wrote when I was in first grade. You know, I think it says today the weather is sunny and fair, or good and fair, or something like that. <laughs> so as long as I can remember, I've been into weather. I've been obsessed with it, and you know, my my backstory doesn't really. In, I don't know of an event that really sparked it. You know, a lot of people have a story where it was a blizzard or a tornado or a hurricane. I don't really have that. But but what I do know is from the time I, from as long as I can remember all the way up until my teenage years, I was absolutely terrified of storms. I mean, during the day they were okay. You know, they were very fascinating. But if there was a storm at night, I... I just couldn't handle it. I mean, I was sleeping on the parents' floor, and wow. but the next day I was at the library looking at, you know, find, trying to find pictures of tornadoes. So it was a weird kind of a love-hate relationship with storms as I was growing up. I think Poltergeist, the movie, did that to everybody with the counting. Speaking of anxiety and storm anxiety, Rick, I know you're working with some uh, mental health, uh, health professionals on storm anxiety. I'm in Oklahoma City. I actually now, as of two years ago, work in the TV end of it. Mm -hmm. Just talk about what you're doing there and what you guys are finding out. 
Yeah, uh, we, you know, from from talking to the our counterparts on TV at Channel 5 and all the other channels in Oklahoma City, uh, we all get phone calls from people. We all get Facebook messages from people. And there's a lot of storm anxiety here in the Oklahoma City area and actually around the country. I mean, everywhere, every weather service office has their group of people that call. And what we're doing is kind of working with the Mental Health Association here in Oklahoma, just trying to learn more about it and we can't cure people, we can't diagnose people, but we're just, you know, we're trying to learn how to interact better with the people that have these problems because people that have the storm anxiety or storm phobia, when they come to us on the phone or on our Facebook page and ask us questions, they're, they're different than a lot of the people that ask questions. I mean, they are, they are obsessed with the weather and a lot of them are just unable to function when there's bad weather. We have one particular lady that calls our office and calls all the TV stations who literally is incapacitated if there's a 20% pop in the seven day forecast. Wow. Um, it's it's yeah. sad. And I grew up with that myself. So I kind of have a lot of empathy for those people. And again, it's not our job to, you know, to, to, to fix them or diagnose them or anything, but I think just being more sensitive to that. So we're, we're working with the mental health association to, to study that. And what, and what we did, Recently, we did a little survey on our, on our Facebook page to ask people, okay, if you've got anxiety, specifically, what is it exactly that you're afraid of? What is it about storms that, you're, that makes you so fearful? And we got some amazing feedback. And what we're doing now is trying to take that feedback and uh, develop a web page so, you know, uh, we can address some of those fears that people have and give them some practical advice of what they can actually do about it. Instead of just saying, well, have a kid and be, be informed and be ready for storms. If people are specifically afraid that they're going to be separated from their family and unable to communicate, what information can we give those people specifically to help them? So it's, it's that kind of thing that we're looking at. What, what other people are involved uh, in that group, Rick, besides National Weather Service? Are there other organizations? Yeah, there, there's the uh, the Mental Health Association of Oklahoma, who we've been working with most closely. They actually got uh, grant money and have been actually doing counseling and have support groups after the 2013 tornadoes, especially, uh, where they're actually talking to people and they set up at events and, and, and actually provide counseling to people uh, who, who were affected by the tornadoes in 2013, either directly or indirectly. So that, that's our main partner. We're also working with a group uh, associated with something called the Oklahoma Medical Reserve Corps. And this is a group of, of uh, doctors, nurses, mental health professionals who are kind of on standby and ready to deploy in the case of a big disaster. So they can come in and help supplement the local uh, system that's in place for, for, uh, for doctors, nurses, uh, you know, uh, triage, things like that, and then also with the mental health side of things. So we're working with them and and uh, it's really been it's really been fascinating. We actually had some training that they provided for our staff recently on, you know, what kinds of things that that we could do to better deal with those phone callers that we get, for example, you know, uh, listening skills and just, you know, trying to trying to be as patient as possible. It's not always easy when they call every 15 minutes, but you know, I feel for them. Yeah. So how so did you get over it? Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, Kim. So how, go how ahead. How did you get over it? I mean, gosh, how did, you know? Gosh, I don't really know. I mean, there were, it was just like, 
all the time I was terrified of storms, I was also fascinated with them. So like I said, I was, you know, covering my ears at night and hoping not to hear anything. And then during the day, I'm devouring every piece of weather information I can find. At some point, the switch just flipped. And then yeah. I'm probably in my teenage years sometimes, uh, sometime, it, it just became the fascination and the the curiosity really took over and it just, I don't know, it seems like it was almost overnight. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, since then it's, it's, that's where it's been. Now I will admit that after living here in Oklahoma since 2002 and after my house was actually hit by a, an EF zero EF one tornado in 2015. And after we've had to replace the roof three times while I'm at work and my family's oh, wow, in the shelter, oh, no. it's coming back a little bit, you know, yeah. it's a little bit different now, but the anxiety is not completely gone. It's kind of a more of a, a dread, you know, yeah. oh gosh, here we go again. Do you guys have windows in your office? So when you got storms coming in that you're trying to, to uh, keep an eye on, are there, are there windows <laughs> or are you enclosed and you're just looking at radar? We actually do contrary to popular belief, weather service meteorologists do actually look out the window and because yeah, so <laughs> I know some don't I know some offices don't have a lot of windows you're right you're right and we, we we're in the National Weather Center building and really when you look out of our windows you're it's like you're on the ground floor and we have a west view but unfortunately we have a west view of a bunch of trees we couldn't get the cushy real estate up on the fifth floor of the building mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately uh, but yeah we got windows and we're watching and you know it's um, it's we've had experiences in the building with storms for sure. So you have a west view with trees blocking it at the weather service, which is like the perfect storm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all of a sudden, it was right in front of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's, it's go ahead. What's the uh, youngest age of callers that you guys get that have that anxiety? Gosh, it's it's hard to know. The phone callers are really limited to a smaller group now. Need to get more people on there. Uh, one of the callers in particular, I think, is uh, probably a person that had a family member who was directly impacted by the ninety nine May third ninety nine tornadoes. So um, we don't really hear from a lot of kids. Of course, on Facebook, it's hard to know. Like I said, we interact a lot more via Facebook messages where they're just talking directly to us one-on-one. -on -one. And uh, so it's hard to know for sure, but um, I, I think it probably spans all ages. And, and one of the things we do know for sure is, if you remember back to 2013, the tornadoes that affected our area, May 20th, schools got, or there were uh, three or four schools that got hit, Briarwood Elementary, Plaza Tower Elementary, yeah. one of the junior highs and more. And there are, there's a whole generation of students that were either at those schools or affiliated with those schools who now have this issue. And we've actually worked with them. We've actually provided tours for them at the recommendation of their counselors. And a lot of these kids still from 2013 are going to routine counseling to help them get over this. I mean, these were the kids that were buried in the concrete and the mm -hmm. rubble wow. that you saw the pictures of being pulled out. And one of the coolest is not the real word, but one of the most, uh, one of the things I was most honored to be able to do is to host a tour for a lot of those children from Briarwood a couple of years ago, where they came out, the entire third grade class came out, and they spent half a day with us, and we had some weather activities, and really what the counselors tell us is, is it does help, it does seem to help when we can show them and tell them 
hey, look, we know you're afraid of storms. We were afraid of storms too, but look at this army of people that's here. You were in the best place in the world as far as weather information. You've got people like Chris who are out there watching the storms. You've got all these radars, you've got all these researchers. And the feedback that we get after those visits is from the parents is that it seemed to help. So that that's one of the coolest things I've been able to do. Yeah, made them feel more safe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So Rick, I'm going to kind of switch gears a little bit. Um, so I know you kind of talked earlier about, um, you know, what you do, but like, you know, let's pick a day, you know, say May 20th, 2013. What would a typical day like that, um, you know, you get up and you go into work and then, then what do you do? Yeah, on a on a day like May twentieth or any of those severe weather days, I'm I'm part of the the leadership team or the management team of the office. Every weather service office has a meteorologist in charge and a warning coordination meteorologist and a science and operations officer. Mm-hmm. We're kind of the 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 core management team, along with a couple of others uh, in the office. And really, one of our main jobs or my main jobs on a day like that is helping to. Uh, kind of help steer the ship in the right in the right mm-hmm. direction. I'm probably not sitting down and drawing the graphics. I'm probably <laughs> not doing the forecast myself, but I'm probably helping to steer the message. And and for example, let's look at May 20th. For example, that before I ever left home that morning, I mean, I think the first tweet I sent of that day from the office account was from my kitchen table, and we we knew already early that morning before I ever got into the office. They we're going to be dealing with storms that were a little bit atypical for Oklahoma. Instead of happening from four to seven o'clock, we were thinking we're going to have initiation at maybe as early as two o'clock. And that was a whole different story when it came to schools, mm-hmm. businesses, rush hour. So um, we're already thinking of the message. And on a day like that, we have a, usually it's a team huddle. Think of a football huddle where you're getting together and what's the game plan? What, what playbook are we going to use today? What is the game plan? Who's going to do what? who's playing quarterback today, who's gonna be the warning forecaster, and what is our message? And really the message is everything on a day like that because we want a consolidated, consistent, unified message coming out of our office, going to our media partners, going to all the emergency managers and the people out there who have their fingers on the siren buttons and who are who are doing the real work in the local communities to get that message out. So it's that, that particular day, I, know, I remember it, I mean, it was like you wake up and May 19th, we looked to May 20th and thought, oh man, tomorrow looks really bad. And when Mm -hmm. you wake up on the morning, you're thinking, please let it be very cloudy. Please let it be raining. Please let it be something. And you look out and you got south winds at 15 to 20 and the dew points are high and it's already in the 80s. And you're like, crap, you know, we're going to have to do this today. Somebody, something Mm -hmm. bad is going to happen somewhere. And really, it's just it's just really getting in there. And my job is to kind of help lead the team or help guide the yeah. team, and and do whatever is needed. So uh, whether it's social media, whether it's uh, briefing emergency managers, whatever needs to be done, I'm kind of I'm kind of there to help with that. Rick, do you ever get any like pushback from any you know anyone that you not necessarily your team because you have you know come to a consensus? Do you ever any like get any pushback from managers saying you know we think something different in terms of like forecast differences? Not really. I mean, we we have 
we have a really good team at our office and I, I get a lot of FaceTime. I get to be the spokesman for a group of people, a group of about 25 people that are really doing the real work behind the scenes. That's the awesome. forecasters who are doing the graphics, the forecasters who are figuring out the timing and what's going to happen, working with the Storm Prediction Center. So no, really, I'm, I'm, I'm really lucky to work with a boss, David Andrew, who's our meteorologist in charge, who mm -hmm. is... You know, he, he's, uh, he's been here forever and he's That's seen awesome. it all. He's the guy that came up with the tornado emergency wording on May 3rd, 99. That's where that originated in his brain. And so I, you know, it's, we're, we're really lucky um, cool. to, to have a good team. It's not always perfect, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, we're, we're usually able to come to a consensus and on a day like May 20th or May 31st of 2013, um, uh, it's, 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 it usually works out pretty well as far as the messaging part or agreeing how we're going to attack the day. So what what do you do if it was like two, three people got the flu that day and you're like, oh, <laughs> like how deep are you guys with people you can call in or? or? We're not as deep as you think. Uh, weather service offices are essentially staffed for quiet weather. Like tonight, there's probably two or three people in our office working. Uh, if there was severe weather tonight, I might be in the office working or my boss might mm -hmm. be. Uh, people come in early, stay late, come in on their days off, just like a lot of, uh, mm -hmm. you know, TV stations or emergency operations centers or, you know, amateur radio people that come in and, and help. So it's, yeah, it's we've had situations like that and we've had situations where um, we get day after day after day of severe weather. And, uh, 2015 was a prime example of that where we saw multiple episodes of severe weather and a lot of our staff's houses got hit by storms on May 6th and May 8th. And I tell you that that adds a whole level of stress, oh, you know, yeah. leaving <laughs> home saying, yeah, honey, I know the windows are broken and I know you had to take shelter twice already this week, but I have to go to work again for 16 hours. And, yeah. and that's just, you know, I'm not whining. Uh, it's, it's part of the job, but it's, it, hard. But it's tough. It's well, hard. you've, yeah. you've been, Rick, you've been part of the national weather service, the government since day one, I guess just give us a brief idea of, of what have the changes, what, what have you seen within the national weather service since you've started that might give you an idea of, of the future of the National Weather Service and, and the, the individual field offices? And where, where do you see that kind of going based on your experience? Well, there's been, a, there's been a lot of changes. There's been technological changes with the radars and certainly the, I mean, just look at Go 16 that just came online and all the technology has really come a long way. But really the philosophy of the Weather Service, I mean, our mission has always been to provide information to help people to help save lives and protect property the best we can and to work with our partners in the media, public safety, emergency management, we can't do this alone. So that, that hasn't changed. What has changed is we are starting to finally see that we can't talk in all capital letters like we're <laughs> talking to other scientists all the time. I mean, the people that we're communicating with are not meteorologists and the people that we're communicating with in the emergency management profession, while they may be very knowledgeable about weather, they need a different type of information from us. So the one of the big changes we're seeing is this shift toward what the Weather Service is calling decision support services, where we are we are not just blasting information in all capital letters and a one-way broadcast to people, but we're having more of a dialogue with people and we're listening more through social media is a big part of that, but we're also learning how to speak 
English, learning how to speak like a normal person and, <laughs> and communicate. Yeah. I mean, you, you yeah. guys that have been on television, you, you, mm-hmm. you're way ahead of us on this, but I tell you, it's a struggle for some in the weather service. A lot, sure of, a lot of meteorologists, you know, I got a degree to forecast and I, I, I'm used to sitting in front of this workstation for eight hours and doing the best possible forecast I can. And I'm not really interested in doing a Skype interview with Weather Nation or the Weather Channel, or I'm not really interested in talking to all these high schools that are calling asking about the lightning, but that's how it's evolving. That's part, that's our job. It's always been our job, but it's really becoming more at the forefront of our job now. All right, well, let, let's do this, Rick. How can people follow you on social media? Well, the, the best way is on Twitter. I'm, I'm really the most active there. It's just O-U-N-W-C-M. And uh, yeah, I'm, I, uh, that's, that's the best way. I have, a, I have a Facebook page that I set up. I, honestly, I'm not really on there that much. I'm a much bigger fan of Twitter. So yeah. that's really the best way to get me. Very good. All right. Well, hey, it's time for lightning round. Uh, so, Rick, this is our speed round of fun questions for our guest. And I understand you're you're born and raised uh, Memphis boy, basically. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes, and sir. And I, I hear I hear you can take the boy out of Memphis, but you can't take Memphis out of the boy. That's so, that's true. So, our lightning round tonight, uh, we are going to play a little. Elvis. Oh, a little Elvis high and low. We're playing a little Elvis. Elvis. I lived in Memphis my first 21 years of life. I never visited Graceland, so I may be in trouble. You are killing me. Well, we'll, we'll try. We'll try. Well, so here's what we're going to do. So it's high and low. So this is based a little bit off of uh, uh, Price is Right game. I'm going to give you a, a question and give you an answer, but the answer is incorrect. You just have to tell me is the correct answer higher or lower than the answer I give you. And and our co-freaks, co-hosts, you guys are certainly welcome to chime in with your feedback. And, and Rick, you can take it or, or not. That's completely up to you. But here we go. So number one, uh, the number of songs written by Elvis is 35. Is the correct answer higher or lower than 35? Uh, who goes first? Not me. So 35. So uh, has has Elvis written more songs than 35 or fewer? For sure, 35. Or it's for sure higher. For sure. What do you think, Rick? Oh, <laughs> uh, gosh. I I was thinking lower, but you guys are, are uh, influencing me, so I'll go higher, too. <laughs> That's higher. Well, that would be incorrect. Don't trust zero. me. I he's, never he's learned, he's he's learned now. He's don't listen to the freaks. Now. Yeah, don't listen okay. to me. Elvis, 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 Elvis was like not write any songs. Every single one of his songs he recorded were written by somebody else, not by Elvis. All right. Uh, All right. The year Elvis, or how many years was Elvis part of active duty in the U.S. Army? Is the number higher or lower than three? Number of years Elvis was in active duty with the U.S. Army. Lower. I'm going to say lower. And you would be correct. It's two. He was in. He was active duty for two. I didn't know that one. He was active duty for two. All right. The number of years Elvis was in Vegas uh, was the number higher or lower than nine years? 
How many years was he in Vegas? And the International Hotel was, which is now I think the Hilton. That was the. Uh, <laughs> there you go. It's got to be lower. What's the answer? Lower. All right, so he says lower. You would be correct. It was seven years, a little over seven years. All right. That's right, man. We're on a roll here. All right. How many number one billboard hits does Elvis have? Is the number higher or lower than 16 number one billboard hits? I think Sanders checking the internet higher. again. Yeah, it's it's be I've only heard like three of his <laughs> songs, higher. so I'm just going to say It's got to be a lot. I say higher. It's got to be lower. That's what do you think, Rick? Oh, uh, gosh. 16 is a lot. I'm going to say lower. Oh, you were on a roll. It's actually higher. He had what? 18. Yes. He had yeah. Oh, my gosh. Hits. I've listened to some of those songs, and they are not good. I, I, think, I, I, think, I, uh, Dude, wow. I think I read um, Madonna and some other female artist had tied. Kesha. No, Kesha. had tied at 18. But anyway. <laughs> All right. Uh, his, his longest reigning album on Billboard was the Blue Hawaii soundtrack. Was that number one, was that the number one album on Billboard for uh, higher or lower than 16 weeks that it was number one on Billboard? Higher or lower than 16 Boy. weeks? Higher. Straight. I'm gonna say Come on, higher. Rick, you got it. Higher. Rick says, hi, you're correct. It's yeah. Yeah. Hey, ding, ding. It was 20. It was on just Kim. Kim's on a roll here, too. I'm on a roll. Okay. She knows her music. I'll tell you that. She knows her music. Well, my All right, husband. last one. So we'll finish on a high note. Uh, the year Graceland was purchased by Elvis. Now, unfortunately, you might not know this because you never visited. Uh, I've driven by it. The year Graceland was purchased by Elvis, was that higher or lower than 1954? I'm going to say lower. So you think it was before 1954? I think so. Okay. I think that's you what would I think. be incorrect, unfortunately. Oh, you, it was 1957. He bought Graceland. I think I read Graceland uh, started in, or, or they built Graceland, the previous owners, in, in the 1930s. But So, Phil, for some of the um, younger viewers, what's Graceland? Uh, so Graceland is, is where Elvis lived. That's, wow. He bought Graceland, obviously, in the 50s, and that's oh, where he, he lived. That was his home. In Memphis, wow. Tennessee, I'm going to Graceland. Graceland. Brady, you asked the wrong question, actually. For, for the young uh, viewers, who is Elvis, You know, you, you've got to be careful there, Santa, because if you say that, it's not how old you are. It's like how unconnected you are from American history. <laughs> I, I, I <laughs> you got to be careful with that hey, one. I hear the power gets knocked out pretty frequently out there because they get some pretty wild weather. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, Rick, thanks for playing, man. That was a lot of fun. Uh, just right. a reminder, we can deck you out in some great swag from our uh, with our Stormfront Freaks Tornado logo. We've got T-shirts for men and women, sweatshirts, jackets, hats, and more. Visit and share your holiday wish list at stormfrontfreaks.com podcast store. So uh, we're going to take a short break. Our podcast listeners get to hear the latest edition of the Titans U Minute with Chris Sanner. Uh, so stay right here. We'll be back with Rick and the co-host to discuss the relationship between the National Weather Service and Storm Chasers. And now it's time for the Titan U Minute with Chris Sanner. When it comes to chasing storms, we like them to be 
all by themselves. Isolated, discrete storms are the bread and butter of great storm chases. But how exactly do storms end up isolated and discrete versus clustered and linear? The answer to that question is pretty complex and involves things like the cap, wind shear orientations, and more. Let's simplify it and give a couple of the situations you look for. The first, and perhaps most obvious way for storms to stay isolated instead of linear or clustered, is when you have a pretty strong cap mixed with strong forcing. In this scenario, even if the environment itself wants to tend toward messy storm modes with the wind shear, the strongest and most powerful updrafts make it through while the weaker ones die. Thus, storms stay isolated. Another way to anticipate more isolated storm coverage is with the wind shear vector in relation to the initiating boundary for storms. If the direction of the shear is perpendicular, aka if the shear is out of the west while the initiating boundary like a dry line is north and south, you are at a very high risk of seeing isolated storms come off of that boundary. When the vector is parallel to the boundary, say the, both the wind shear and initiating boundary are running southwest to northeast, you're going to likely see a more messy and clustered storm mode. Perpendicular vectors are your friend. Hey, I have a new series called Wild Weather, which you can find simply by searching Tornado Titans on your favorite social media accounts. We're doing new videos every week and it's a lot of fun. Our next video will detail the dual ice storms in El Reno, Oklahoma in the winter of 2015. Check us out on the web. Simply search Tornado Titans. We'll see you next time. All right, welcome back. Um, we know the National Weather Service field offices, they do a great job every year of putting on storm spotter training classes. Uh, they talk about the value of having trained spotters on the ground to report what they see aloft via radar. However, when it comes to storm chasers, they always seem to kind of keep an arm's length uh, between them. And, and the chasers. So some of the best spotters are experienced chasers that may or may not be on their home turf. So why does it seem that every year we hear of National Weather Service offices not reporting chaser reports? So uh, kind of open it up to uh, Rick and all of the co-hosts, uh, I guess, what's been your experience? And maybe Rick, we'll start with you as far as explaining how you feel that relationship is between the spotters and then where chasers come into that mix. Exactly. Yeah. And, and just to kind of my disclaimer, the small print at the bottom of the screen here, I'm speaking for myself and I'm speaking for our office. There's 121 other national weather service offices. And honestly, the, 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 uh, how they deal with chasers, how they deal with spotters, maybe different at different offices, but this is my, this is kind of my take and my opinion. Um, I, for one thing, I think the line, you know, the line between what's a storm spotter and what's a storm chaser has gotten a lot fuzzier. You know, it used to be people would ask what the definition or what the difference was. And, and it, you know, it was always kind of hard to answer. Now it's even harder to answer because like you said, some of the best spotters, some of the best storm observers who give us reports and information to help the warning process are chasers uh, because chasers have a lot of experience. Somebody like Chris or, who, or somebody, you know, chasers who are out there all the time who are spending their money and their time to learn about storms and to do that, sometimes the best reports are for them or from them. Um, 
that's not to discount the spotter. So this is not a, a wiggling out of answering the question answer, but really the, the line between spotters and chasers has gotten so blurry now. There are spotters who are chasers, there are chasers who are spotters and everything in between. So um, we benefit from the information that everybody provides. Is it all good information? No, obviously it's not. Some of the reports are, are not great, some, uh, most of those are not intentionally not great. Nobody's trying to submit a bad report usually. Um, but we use, we use every report that we get. We look at every report that we receive in real time. And so what, so I guess tell me because that, that's one thing I've noticed is, is every WFO um, seems to kind of have their own method of how they deal with things. I remember uh, one office that, you know, used to give out a spotter number if you went through their training class that I, I'm sure helped them better identify, okay, this is a legitimate spotter. Um, but others that don't do that, I guess why is there not an, an, why haven't we said, hey, let's come up with a national way that we're going to treat this? That's a great question. And there's been attempts at doing that. There's been attempts at establishing like a nationwide 800 number where someone could call and, and make reports. And, and for various reasons, those, those things have never really taken off. I think, I think what we're seeing now though, is the closest thing we have to that right now is probably spotter network. Spotter network is something that I, I love. I love spotter network. I wish, I wish more people used it. I wish we got more information through it. We get a ton of reports in our office through Spotter Network. And Spotter Network reports come from storm spotters. It could be a volunteer fireman in some little county in southeast Oklahoma. It could be a, a chaser who's out there with, with decades of experience uh, and everybody in between, a general public, uh, somebody from the general public. The beauty of Spotter Network is you don't have to know what number to call. You don't have to know whose CWA you're in. If you're sitting in right. far western Beckham County in Oklahoma and your GPS is turned on, then it knows that that belongs to the Norman office and it's gonna send the report to us. It's gonna alarm on our workstations. It's gonna light up in our NWS chat room, which everybody's monitoring. And I mean, that's to me, that's one of the best things that's come along. And I hope that we'll continue to see that grow uh, because that, to me, that's the closest thing we've got to something like you're talking about. Is there, Chris, Chris, what's your experience, I guess, with other chasers and in, in using that, that spotter network app or online site? Uh, I mean, obviously I used to kind of teeter with spotter network a few years ago. Now that I'm on TV, I kind of just use that as my reporting method because it's kind of obvious if I have a tornado, it's going to be on air at the time. So I, I've kind of migrated into the TV kind of mantra because I don't, you know, when you're on TV, you don't have time to say, okay, give me five minutes. Give me five minutes, Damon. I got to, I got to type this report up for spotter network. It's more like I've got a tornado on the ground. So you kind of run with that. What you run into, I think with chasers, usually whenever you see someone who's complaining about being treated wrongly by a national weather service office, typically it's their fault because I just, I'll be a little less PC on this, but for the most part, it seems like anybody that runs into problems dealing with the National Weather Service has done so because they have themselves not shown a lot of professionalism. A little bit of professionalism as a chaser goes a long way to building better relationships. I know uh, uh, there's been some problems. Uh, one or two guys have had problems in the past with certain offices, and those same offices I have a really good relationship with. And it's just a matter of, you know, 
just if some, you got to recognize that sometimes things are freaking hectic for guys like Rick when the stuff hits the fan. You had have May nineteenth with two and three different supercells bearing down on Oklahoma City, and their phones ringing off the hook. They got TVs up looking at everything. I mean, they're just going to sometimes maybe miss something or. They don't need your report because they've gotten six others of the same thing. I don't know. I mean, it's just you got to learn to give a little, I guess, when it comes to this stuff. Chris, is that does that sound like a drone flying over your house? What is that? Sound? <laughs> yeah. hey, what is that? Yeah, I, I have no idea. I think it's uh, they're watching me. Oh. Be careful when you start your car later. Oh no! Oh no! Not for me. We know who you are. I think. I think of no government. I don't know this man. Oh, sorry. (laughs) So I guess my. I guess my question. I guess my question is um, with that network. You know, can you like determine else than just looking at radar and maybe you know knowing that person from the past? How do you you know determine that a you know spotter report? is you know completely accurate and because i feel like that's got to be that's got to be a problem when someone you know someone gets too enthusiastic and they just decide to post a report that maybe not you know might not be accurate yeah uh absolutely that is an issue and and um that's a problem that every weather service office i'm assuming i know what hours it is i'll speak for hours uh you know you get these reports whether it's somebody calling on the phone maybe it's a chaser who's out observing a tornado and they have our phone number and they're calling and their cell service cuts out or we're just getting every other word that they're saying getting those reports or even if we get a report in spotter network Sometimes we're able to kind of do some very quick crowdsourcing to see if that makes sense. Does that make sense in relation to radar? If they're reporting a tornado or a wall cloud, are they, does that make sense meteorologically? Um, so we have to do that. Uh, the forecasters have to do that. And we also have to kind of determine, uh, you know, if it's a sole report by itself, you know, then it's, there's a lot of decisions that have to be made. Is it, is it the only report because they're out in the middle of nowhere where there's no other chasers or spotters out there? Or is it someone just kind of trying to goof on us? And, and rare, on rare occasions, we have people and we've caught people before that are sitting in their house or they're sitting in their parents' basement or attic in Nashville, Tennessee, who are sending tornadoes in severe weather because they've got radar scope and they're watching our warnings and they're, they're sending us legitimate looking reports that we have to take the time to try to verify. Mm-hmm. And keep in mind that all of this is going on. We have seconds to do this. We don't have 10 minutes to go do searches right, and, really. and try to determine all this. So what Chris says is exactly right. A lot of times there's just a lot going on. And believe me, in our office, we 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 take every report seriously. We look at it. Some reports are able to very quickly look at and say, there's no way they're looking at. But the majority of the reports, we you know, we have to kind of think about and, and what's really, what we really like to see is when we get a a number of reports saying the same thing. Uh, And that happens quite a bit in our area, fortunately. So what what do you do when there is a bogus report? You like, like release the dogs on them? I mean, what do you do? (laughs) You know, it's tough because in the heat of battle, you know, we're just, we're just a lot of times in the few occasions we've gotten these reports, they look legit. You know, it's like, I'm getting golf ball size hail here. Well, we just issued a warning saying there could be golf ball size hail and it's about the right location. The timing looks right. Uh, you know, it seems right. But uh, 
what we do now is we we search for IP addresses and we we try to now when someone submits a report on our web page for example we get the IP address of where that address where that report came from and that can help us kind of mm. if something looks a little squirrely we can kind of say well sure. you know but the right. problem is we have to look at every one of those. We can't just yeah. immediately yeah, discount it. We right. don't have time yeah. and it takes people to do that. And now I, that's not a widespread issue. It happens every once in a while, but, but it happens. Yeah. So, so Rick. Rick uh, oh. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Mark. Okay. Um, so Rick, I'm a spotter up in Minnesota, so we're not all that active yes. all the time, right? But, <laughs> um, but when you but are, you me, are. You know, at times we are, yeah. But um, tell me in your office, what does it look like? Because you've talked about you've got spotter network, you've got phone calls coming in, you've probably got other social media, your web page. I assume amateur radio plays a role um, mm -hmm. as, as well. What does that look like in your office when you don't have you know, 20 people? How do, you, how do you handle that? Yeah, when, when we are staffed like we want to be for a severe weather event, we usually have... Uh, you know, we may have individuals who are dedicated solely to issuing the warnings, warning forecasters, and that may be one, it may be four people, depending on the event. We always have someone, usually it's me and maybe my boss, who is monitoring the media, who's monitoring social media, uh, who's monitoring those spotter network reports coming in. So we're watching all the Oklahoma City TV stations and monitoring their broadcasts. So when Chris comes on and says, I have a tornado, you know, in progress in, in uh, Garvin County or whatever, we see that. So we're, we're getting, we're taking advantage of, of that information. We're also getting phone calls from the public. We're getting phone calls from emergency managers and spotters. We have uh, four or five different amateur radios that we're monitoring. We sometimes will monitor local spotter networks through radioreference.com or, or, or something like that online. Uh, we frequently are, are monitoring distant TV stations that we can't get over the air, like in Lawton or Wichita Falls. Um, we're monitoring chaser video streams. If we, can, if we can see that chasers are on a storm and are streaming video, that's one of the best things that we can see is streaming videos. So we're, right. we're, 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 we're ingesting every piece of in information we possibly can. And when wow. we're, when we've got all the people there that we need to have there, it's, 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 con it's not chaos and it's very quiet. It's very calm, but everybody's got a job to do, sure. but there's a lot of information and passing between the warning forecasters and people that are doing my job and the other jobs in the office. So, Rick, uh, from, from a chaser standpoint, uh, let's just say I'm just a regular average Oklahoma chaser. I go out, you know, 15, 20 times a year. I know what I'm looking at when I see a tornado. What is the, like, one or two things that a chaser could do to make reporting to you guys the absolute best? Do they do social media? Do they make sure they stream video? Uh, what, what would you recommend? Uh, really for us, I, you know, streaming video is always good. If, you know, if we can get a clear video and they've got a good signal and we can see the storm and we have some idea of which way they're looking, um, that's great. You know, we, sometimes we're hanging on those chaser streams in their repositioning or something. We're like, no, 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 don't move, go back. You know, you're in a good spot. And, uh, uh, so we're, we're really, that's, that's important. If you don't have that, then uh, giving us a tornado report or a developing tornado report, really spotter network or the telephone are some of the best ways. If you're gonna try and get us a report on social media, for gosh sakes, don't use Facebook, use Twitter. Tag the office. If you know the office that you're trying to reach, tag them or at least put the state weather 
hashtag on there and give the specific information, you know, the, the basics, you know, where you are, what you see, where you see it, and what time is it happening? Did it happen 15 minutes ago or is it happening right now? Try to answer those questions as much as you can on the front end of the report because those are going to be questions that we're going to come back and ask, you know, well, where are you? Which direction are you looking? Is the tornado five miles north of Clinton or are you five miles north of Clinton? Those types of things. And those are things we teach in storm spotter training classes. And, but yeah, just the more specific information, calm information. Honestly, I don't care whether you call it an elephant trunk or a rope or a stovepipe or whatever. It, just tell us it's a tornado. You know, just the, just the facts, just the basic information, the details, where it is and what when it happened. That's that's really, I mean, it sounds basic, but that we don't get that all the time. Just the facts, ma'am. Just the exactly. facts. Exactly. Exactly. So, so do you, Rick, in your storm spotter trainings, are you teaching about the, the spotter network app? Website. We do mention it. Yeah. Yeah. We do mention it. We do spotter training both in person and online. And we do mention spotter network and we have had quite a few spotters that have signed up for it. It started out as kind of a chaser thing, but even some emergency managers are starting to use spotter network now. So it's kind of, like I said, we, in our office, we really have seen the, well, there's still a wall and size between what's a spotter and what's a chaser, but you know, we, we rely very heavily on all of them. And I can tell you, Chris has been as an example of one person. We've actually uh, talked back and forth with Chris after an event to get specifics. You know, we see him reporting something on, on TV as we're watching, but what time did it start? Did you find any damage? Because we're not able to always go out and survey all these tornadoes. So we, we could not do spotter training without storm chasers. We, we, we have nothing against storm chasers. Now there's, there's, there's a fringe element out there, obviously that is probably not doing things exactly like I would do them, but you know, we're not going to cast dispersions on the entire group of people and say all chasers are bad. They're not. I mean, chasers have helped us out a lot. In training, are you guys teaching the elephant trunk? Just as a descriptor. Because <laughs> we would get, we used to get like wedge teacup size hail and we're all like, Who's got a teacup? I, need to find <laughs> I, I will admit I do teach the teacup tea size hail. I'm, I'm ashamed to say it, but for, for the okay. for the record, uh, the, an elephant trunk is not an elephant trunk. That's a mini wedge. That's a baby wedge. Yeah, duh. the average wedge. You know, you, you got to get this it's, right. It's yeah. all just okay. different grades of wedge. It, it really is. At, and then you got the six iron, the five iron, and then exactly. the future <laughs> wedge, a baby wedge, a soon to be wedge. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. so, I have a serious so, question. Go. All right. Rick, do you yes. ever see technology evolving or getting so good and maybe the use of drones, maybe even, I don't know, street cameras that there's not going to be a need for You're fired, right? <laughs> I, You know, this is something I say at the beginning of every storm spotter training I do, and it's not BS. It's not just something I say to keep them from leaving before I'm done talking two hours. It's the truth. I, I don't. I mean, I don't. I just don't see. I just don't. I mean, we've got tower cams. We've got uh, streaming video. We've got drones. We've got all kinds of things. And that can be helpful. But you still just don't. There's still nothing that can replace right now that I know of a, a person sitting there that's describing what they're seeing, that's feeling it, that's seeing it, that's there looking at it. And maybe someday there'll be something, but I don't, I don't see anything right now that's going to replace people. Okay. 
right, artificial so intelligence. Mm -hmm. Do you, well, Rick, let me ask you this then too, because I know in spotter training classes, they, they, they preach safety. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I've gone through a number of those through different WFOs. Um, would, would, do you, do you foresee ever the option or the opportunity to also start teaching some chasing safety, doing some chasing safety training um, about driving and, and those kinds of things. We start incorporating the fact that, you know what, some of our spotters are becoming chasers. We, we actually do a little bit of that in our training. We don't call it chaser training, but we do, you cannot ignore the fact that uh, we do have storm spotters that sit on their back porch and report what they see. And we do have storm spotters that the emergency manager says, go sit at this point on the map and do not move and tell me what you see. But we have a lot of storm spotters, a lot of volunteer firemen, law enforcement that are out there driving who are, you know, the politically correct term we used to use was mobile storm spotters. Well, they're storm chasers, essentially. I mean, they're, they're driving to try to get the best view of the storm. They are reporting to their community and helping the warning process. So mm -hmm. they're a hybrid. So yeah, we do. We talk about uh, best viewing locations. We talk about uh, safe distances from the storm. We talk about escape routes. We talk about scouting out locations in advance to see, you know, you know, is your escape route a gravel road or a dirt road where you could get in serious trouble really fast. Uh, so yeah, we, we don't call it chaser training, but we are acknowledging the fact that people are spotting while their vehicle is moving and following along with the storm and we need to do you know we try to provide them the best information we can we don't get into a lot of detail but it's our job to help keep them safe while they're out there helping us do you think the national weather service in general could be in a position where they could have adopt some kind of safety training for chasers specifically or do you think they're still trying to keep a little bit of an arm's distance there from from that? I, I think there's still a little bit of a, you know, I don't really know. I mean, I know that even some of the official weather service training, like if you go to the, the modules that came out a couple of years ago that are, you know, kind of the basic spotter training, there's some of those, those concepts that are in there about maintaining a safe distance from the storm and escape routes and things like that. So there's a little bit of chaser stuff in there. So it's working its way in there. I don't, you know, whether, whether the weather service ever just comes out and fully embraces it, I don't know. But, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not scared to say it in our office. I mean, we, we will take reports from anybody that gives them to us, and we will handle the reports and interrogate them and determine how to use them uh, to help the warning process or the verification process after. And we appreciate people that take the time and trouble to report to us, whoever they are. Good. Good. Well, we're going to go ahead and take our final break. Uh, the rest, you can refill your drinks. When we come back, it'll be time for some amazing WX resources for you and our weather fools might have you rolling on the floor. We'll see what happens. Hey, this is Brian Davidson from Weather Underground on the Weather Channel, and you're listening to Stormfront Freaks Podcast. All right, welcome back. Hey, it's time now for weather resources. It's cool places you can find some of the latest or maybe not even the latest, just kind of cool weather stuff dealing with places you can go get information. 
well, heck, why am I telling you? Let's just go to Kim. What do you got for us first, Kim? Okay, well, first let me preface it with saying that I was in New England over the weekend. So I got the idea about where I look to see where the good fall foliage is. You know, it's the time of the year, Columbus Day weekend's coming up. Some of you may want to think, where should I go to see some good color? So I found this website. Okay, so this is a state-by-state guide to fall colors. It's tripsavvy.com, and then it's slash a-state-by-state. Dash guy to fall. We'll throw that on the show notes. So you got that? All right. So look what you can do here. Though this is really cool. I'm gonna scroll down, and uh, you can actually go state by state, and it tells you first what kind of colors you should be looking for, the peak time, uh, the hotline. There's even hotlines for all these states. I mean, it's just really cool. So I'm gonna pick um, Connecticut. I think here. We'll pick Connecticut. You click on it, and it's going to bring you some beautiful Ooh. pictures, um, give you the actual interactive fall foliage report map, which is now available. So you can go uh -huh. there. And it shows now it's very low, and I can attest to that. When I was up there, there really wasn't much going on. <laughs> it was pretty good. It's actually, yes, and they said because the big heat wave they had last week and week before really stopped, stunted the color growth, or stopped the color. Yeah. So it was disappointing when I was up there. Aww. but. Um, and then it's like where you can drive um, and why the leaves change color. So it actually will tell you, you know, give you some educational information about it. So this is a really cool site. That I think is awesome. Who wants to learn Kim, about colors. Yes. Kim, I saw a foliage hotline. Is that is that actual <laughs> like an actual phone number you can call? Yes. Or? yes. No way. I don't think they did hotlines anymore. I thought they, they got did. rid of the 1-900 numbers. They did. <laughs> Who's answering that phone? That's the real question. <laughs> Wait, this just in. The book's husband has turned. My grandma would be calling that like every five minutes. <laughs> give up, just to talk to someone. <laughs> to get to the 20 minute conversation. Hello? Hello? We have downed leaves out here. Oh my God. <laughs> you guys are making fun of my my resource, okay? No way, no way. I think it's awesome. I think it's awesome. It's so yes, yeah, cool website. All right, that's it. Very timely. Thank you. I will be looking at it just okay. to let you know. Okay. Good. All right, Mr. Sandman, what do you got? Okay, I've got a couple of things. The first one, I've been using a new tool on tropicaltidbits.com. It is their modeling page. I am not as versed on screen sharing. In fact, I was not prepared to screen share, so I'm not. You're just going to have to do it as if this is the radio and you're just listening, and I'm going to describe it in great detail. Do you have a dry erase board? <laughs> uh, I, I do, actually. No, no, okay. we won't grab that. Oh. Uh, but uh, seriously, uh, oh, hit my microphone. But uh, th there, there's a mo basically an average model forecast sounding that you can click and drag over an area and you get the average sounding for that area which is just amazing because we oh, have wow. this really bad problem in the weather community about cherry picking great soundings and when you click and drag and get an average sounding that's probably closer to real life and what's going on so that's one and also it is it is autumn and i'm not going to one up kim i'm going to offer a secondary resource on fall foliage maps it's oh. at smokymountains.com and they have basically what is a fall foliage predictor map for 2017 so you can see when your area is supposed to peak 
sometimes it's right, sometimes it's not. It is a forecast, so things can be wrong, but it is something I have used in the past as well. So That's a good Chris, one. Chris, real quick, because uh, I'm actually super interested in that sounding. How, um, like, what does it just take the average between two soundings or how basically it... the average of the environment throughout that whole like area okay like, like the whole area click and drag yeah it's really cool i i played around with it a little bit i don't know how reliable it is yet yeah. but i mean it is tropical tidbits and levi callum sites and he does a really good job so i'm gonna guess it's pretty pretty solid yeah because there's i feel like there's a problem because it's like at one forecast site it gives you the projected sounding and then there's a whole area that it could be completely different you know oh so yeah yeah people just cherry they, they go to the brightest point on the map so but yeah the, the, it really helps with that if you want to see a better average of what you're looking at for the day so chris where was that right. first site uh tropical tidbits.com so yeah just go to their modeling section and yeah you can find that it's really nice Awesome. Thank you, Chris. Let's move to Brady. You got something somewhat interesting tonight? Or... I, I got something good. You know, I'll preface it by saying um, it, this website just came out and it's Ooh, called Mike's, Mike's Weather Page. And I don't know who Mike is, so I'm not going <laughs> to. I'm not going to vouch for Mike here. Um, and let me just share my screen. But from what I've seen, it looks pretty cool. So this is basically a site that gives you a bunch of different pages. You know, there's the National Hurricane Center forecast. Did you do this one already? No. Yeah, I think we did. Or no, I did not. No, Dina did it. Dina, Dina maybe did. it was I Dina. Think Dina, Dina did it. Uh -huh. Did she? All right. When? When Jeez, was this? Was, Brady was sleeping at some point. No, 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 no. When was this? This must have yeah, been it was, too much it was only a few something. episodes back. Dina, Dina on line three. Oh Dina. my gosh. <laughs> well, Dina, this is in honor of you. Um, basically, for those that didn't listen to that episode, this is just a website with a bunch of different maps. There's the National Hurricane Center uh, prediction for Nate's. Um, a bunch of different. Um, there's his Twitter account. Um, so you know, it's pretty cool. It yeah, a lot cool. of a lot of you different. It is cool, yeah, because yeah. there's a lot of different resources on one site to go to. And I, know. I think that's what does it call it? SpaghettiModels.com. Is that what it oh is? Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, we've definitely done this before. Yeah. <laughs> All righty. Well, that's that's. It's kind of like I'm, I guess I'm the weather fool this episode, right? <laughs> it's kind of the ADD hey, hey. for weather people. There's so much on that page. There is a lot. There is a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Apparently. All right. That's it. Oh, by the way, so if you missed any of those uh, new or even old uh, uh, resources, you can check them out <laughs> on episode 37 show notes. You got that, huh? Episode oh, 37 God. show notes on Stormfront Freaks. Show notes. <laughs> show hey, notes. Whoa. Oh, I didn't know we were making show nuts. Well, <laughs> it is about it's, it's had holiday baby. season. It's One holiday beer, season. and I'm looking for trouble. Keep them toasty. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks, Kim. Brady, let's now, go. Now let's let's transition on to our next segment, which Maz, that was great, but this I know I've gotten some emails from people. This is really people's favorite part of the podcast here. Thank um, you, Mom. Thank you. This oh. is Weather Fools. Basically, uh, us as the freaks are out looking for some silly things, some funny things, or some not so smart things that someone in the weather community or the public does and it's usually caught on video or twitter um so phil what is your weather fool this week? okay so you guys you guys are familiar with sharknado correct yes oh yeah which one right. 
Yeah, any of the any of the five or six Two, that happen to be there. Yeah. Uh, well, this actually happened in um, a coastal Mexican city uh, back in uh, end of September. Fish started raining down on the city. Uh, oh. Literally, fish were actually falling into the city, and they figured it was because of uh, a water spout that had come through and picked up, sucked up some of those fish into the air and dropped them to the ground. So it was a fish NATO. It wasn't a shark NATO, but it was a fish NATO. Fish NATO. Wow. How With confused a, would you be if, you're so, just, if you just get hit in the head by a fish? <laughs> exactly. I mean, you have to think someone's tossing it from a darn drone. I know. From a window or something, but yeah. So this really happened. A fish NATO hit a Mexican, coastal Mexican city. How is it they were already filleted and frozen? That's Wouldn't that be nice? Who's the real fool, Phil, here? Is the fish or the person that got hit by it? That's my mm-hmm. question. Yeah, well, right. So it's not really a fool. I just thought it was funny that a, a real fish NATO actually happened. That's pretty awesome. Wow. Okay. Well, that was pretty, uh, pretty awesome. Now, my weather fool this week. Um, <laughs> once again, I'm going to preface it With here. all kinds week. of excitement, he said. That was pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was. It was. I didn't okay. mean to convey anything fake there. I, it was true, true happiness for that. Uh, what? <laughs> well, you can't fire me unless I'm being paid. <laughs> Damn. Oh, I no. knew there was a loophole somewhere. All right. So here, can you guys see this picture of this? Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Unfortunately. Cats so here, the here's the first one. Look, this is me. I'm running to actually. I'm getting in my car and I'm driving. I'm sure Chris can relate to this. Um, so there's that cat. So He's explain what it is to our listeners. Okay, so it's a cat, basically a meme. The yeah. cat saying severe weather question mark. Run to the nearest window and watch. And the cat's very excited. <laughs> cat. That's Wait. it. Hey, hey, no. Is there oh, a right. weather? All right, here's another calendar. I quit. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a cat. This is Grumpy Cat. For those that don't know, I do have five Grumpy Cat t-shirts, all different embroidered things. Oh, but God. here's a weather forecast. Oh, here's Grumpy Cat basically saying visibility is high. I can see an idiot. And that's making fun of meteorologists. That's taking that's <laughs> awesome. I, guess, I guess the cat's probably the weather fool on that one. And then this one ending with a bang. So you have a cat sitting out in the snow, and he said, Ma pee froze, and I wasn't done yet. And he looks very... (laughs) I don't get it. Poor kitty. That that kitty reminds me of mine. It's very fat. So it looks like it enjoys a lot of food. Okay. All right. right. You can find... I don't know if we're actually going to post those pictures. (laughs) Might tweet them, but... You can find Phil's and possibly mine on our <laughs> show 37 or show notes on episode 37 at our website, stormfrontfreaks.com. Once again, that is stormfrontfreaks.com. You know what? Check out the merchandise. Check out the merchandise. There's some great Brady, stuff on there. Do you have a cat calendar yet? I, I do. I actually have about six of them, but I don't have them up. <laughs> no, but, but hold it. Is there such a thing as a cat weather calendar? Um, You know, that's a good idea for like. There's huh? gonna be. Uh, there's there's gonna be. Right? Give me, give me a couple days and a couple uh, Microsoft PowerPoint. I'm sure there's some lemonellas. All right, well let's let's uh, let's check in with MJ for any listener questions or see what our online folks are saying. Sure, we got a uh, we got a review on iTunes Yay. from Texas Storm Chasers, and Woo! they Woo! say. 
I began listening to the Freaks podcast a month prior to this review, starting at episode one and now just catching up to the current episode 36. Binge listening allows me to say that the show has definitely grown in both entertainment value along with guest quality. And they go on to say, average weather weenies, along with more experienced weather folks, will enjoy this podcast with quality content mixed in with humor. So thank you, Texas Storm Chasers, for that review. Thank you. Just thanks for for letting us know your your honest feedback. Appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Whether we kinda, we kind of started with janitors on the first, you know, the first. <laughs> <laughs> you know anything about weather? Yeah, Get on here. The guy, yeah, the janitor at the National Weather Service. <laughs> oh my God! Now right. trying to get Rick Smith. So I yeah. started with cats. It's all up here. It's all uphill. <laughs> uh, awesome. And recorders. Cats all right. Recorders. All right. So I hey. So I think that uh, that about does it for this episode of Stormfront Freaks podcast and Stormfront Freaks Raw. Thanks for listening and watching. Uh, please take the time, like North Texas Storm Spotters, or was it Chasers? Oh, you already messed they're it both. up. They're, yeah. they're what was it, MJ? Texas Storm Chasers. Thank you. Uh, so like the Texas Storm Chasers, hey, we'd love it if you would leave us uh, a review on your podcast app. Uh, we'd love Only the, if it's positive. The five stars are the better ones, of course. <laughs> but hey, we'll take it. We, we really do appreciate your feedback, so thanks for that. Uh, special thanks to our guest, Rick Smith, and our next episode in two weeks. We're going to be recording live on October 19th with the Weather Channel's AMHQ and Weather Underground weather producer, Miss Catherine Prosiv, is going to be uh, back with us uh, as a guest this time instead of just a guest co-host. So be sure to click subscribe on your podcast app uh, to be notified when it's available. Go to stormfrontfreaks.com or our YouTube channel if you actually want to watch it live. And we also interact uh, if, if you're watching live on YouTube. Uh, we'll interact with you as well in the chat box. So uh, we love that. Uh, so for MJ, Maz, Brady, Kim, and Chris, uh, I'm going to go ahead and signal the all clear, and we'll catch you guys next time. Catch you on the flip side. See you on the flip side. Thank you for listening to the Stormfront Freaks podcast. To subscribe and be notified when new episodes of our bi-weekly show are available, you can go to Apple Podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app and search for Stormfront Freaks. If you would like to contact us with questions or make comments about the show, shoot us an email to questions at stormfrontfreaks.com or follow us on Twitter at Stormfront Freak. We'd love to hear from you. For show notes, additional information about this episode, as well as past and upcoming shows, videos, photos, and more, visit our website at stormfrontfreaks.com. While you're there, check out the interactive radar provided by our friends at zoomradar.com. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash stormfrontfreaks. Join us next time and tell a friend about the Stormfront Freaks podcast.